church. Please stand as we enter into worship together.
greet those around you. Students are dismissed at this time. Well, good morning, church. How are we today? All right. That was that was that was the uh, post Christmas. Uh, I'm relieved that it's all over now. I have a question for you. How many of you already have Christmas torn down at your house? Is it still up? Thank you. I love you guys. This is great. I know. I'm like mine's still up. I would leave it until July, but my wife wouldn't have it. There's something about Christmas. Then when you tear it down, you know how boring your house looks. It's kind of depressing, but. I'm glad you guys still have it up. I give you permission to leave it up for another three months. Well, we are so glad you're here at church today. Whether this is your first time and you're new here or you've been here for a while, uh, then you know the drill that we love to pray. And we are a family of families here, intergenerational community, and we care about you and where you are in your spiritual journey with the Lord. So if there is anything that we could do or any questions you have, uh, I'm brand new here. Uh, I'm about a month old today. So I'm feeling real good. But what I've, one thing that I love about this church and through the interview process and coming here and even just being invested is this place really takes prayer seriously. And I can't tell you what a joy that is to know that when someone says they're praying for you, I can promise you they're praying for you. And we have an incredible team uh, after the service. If you want to make your way down this path to the prayer garden, they want to pray for you and encourage you. Uh, but at the same time, in your bulletins, there's a little tear-off section uh, that we would love for you just to take a moment, and you can do that while I'm talking or sometime during uh, the service today. Fill that out. Maybe there's a prayer that we can just come alongside of you and bring some comfort and encouragement. Or maybe there's a praise that we don't want just want to pray in the low times. We want to celebrate sometimes in the high times in your life when things are going well. So take a moment. Fill that out. And when the offering uh, plates come by uh, later on in the service, go ahead and drop that in. And uh, we will send that and add that on our prayer list and be in prayer for you. I just want to highlight a couple of things, and all of these are in your bulletin. I encourage you read them, uh, fill them out, take a moment to familiarize yourself with it. But winter membership is coming up January 12th. And if you've maybe been in any sort of prayer, uh, should I join the church? What does it mean to become a member? Why do I become a member? What it's about? This class is for you. And when you exit the doors back here, there's a table there. There's a sign-up sheet. We would love for you to put your name, a phone number, an email, some way that we can contact you to get in touch with you, to, to remind you when that class is coming, to let you know what it's about. Uh, really, it's a chance for Pastor Steve to sit down, share about the mission and values of La Jolla Community Church, who we are, what we're about, what it means to join the church. Uh, but here's the kicker, because I know everyone has this question, and this is kind of the deterring factor of whether I join or not. Yes, lunch is provided. So we good? All of you are going to go up and sign up after. I love it. Even if you've been a member, you're like, I want free lunch. Check. So uh, again, uh, go there, sign up. And even if you just have more questions, give us a chance to contact you and talk more in detail than I have time for up here. We just want to share with you what God is doing, what we're excited about in this next year of dun, 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 2020. Isn't that awesome? You believe it's 2020? How many of you are waiting for Barbara Walters to say 2020, right? Yeah, you know, the ball drop. Anyways. And next thing, a winter camp. Uh, if you have any of children, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, elementary on up through high school, 
We have an incredible weekend planned. Our youth team has done an awesome job preparing this weekend. All of those uh, groups will be going up January 24, 25, and 26. Our elementary junior high kids are going to go up to Forest Home Camp, uh, and our high school students are going to meet at Big Bear. So that is all happening. So would you be praying now for that? But we still have some spots available that we would love for you to help us fill and make sure we can get as many kids as we can. So spread the word. Even if they don't attend this church, we would still love for them to come in, go up with our kids, have an incredible, chaotic, but purposeful weekend uh, at camp. So uh, if you've never been a part of a camp or you never went to a camp or maybe you grew up, I got to work at a summer camp for a couple of uh, years. Uh, camp ministry is an impactful ministry in the lives of kids and students, and I promise you it will change them. Uh, I have so many stories uh, from my times at camp uh, that I know will last me a lifetime. So we want to get as many kids and students as we can in on that. So prayerfully consider who you can send that to. Say, hey, we've got this camp coming up. It's for you. And then all the contact information is in the bulletin. You can send an email, and we will make sure to get them registered. Oh, well, right now I'm going to invite uh, Andy to come on up, and he's going to lead us uh, in a time of prayer. thinking about what to do today, I was looking around knowing if this would be the last uh, last service of this year. And I came across an article in the Saturday Evening Post uh, by Billy Graham. And uh, revere him, love him. And this is his prayer for the end of the year. So Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come together as many families into one family as we worship you today. Thank you for Steve and Dave and all the staff here, Lord, that you would bless them and grow our church, Lord, into overflowing. We thank you for the Christmas Eve service, Lord, when this place was just crazy with people. We ask that you, Lord, you would touch them, touch us today, Lord. Our Father and our God, as we stand in the beginning of this new year, we confess our need of your presence and your guidance as we face the future. We each have our hopes and expectations for this year that's ahead of us. But you alone know what it holds for us, and only you can give us the strength and the wisdom we will need to meet its challenges. So help us to humbly put our hands into your hand and to trust you and to seek your will for our lives during this coming year. In the midst of life's uncertainties and in the days ahead, assure us of the certainty of your unchanging love. In the midst of life's inevitable disappointments and heartaches, help us to turn to you for the stability and the comfort we will need. In the midst of life's temptations and the pull of our stubborn self-will, help us not to lose our way, but to have the courage to do the right thing in your sight, regardless of the cost. In the midst of our daily preoccupations and pursuits, open our eyes to the sorrows and injustices of a hurting world and help us to respond with compassion and sacrifice to those who are friendless and in need. May our constant prayer be that of the old ancient psalmist who said, teach me, O Lord, to follow your decrees, then I will keep them to the end. We pray for our nation and its leaders during these difficult times. 
and for all those who are seeking to bring peace and justice to our dangerous and troubled world. We pray especially for our protection and for those who serve in our armed services, armed forces. And we thank you for their commitment to defend our freedoms, even at the cost of their own lives. Be with their families also and assure them of your love and concern for them. Bring our divided nation together as we give a greater vision of what you would have us to be. Your word reminds us that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. As we look back over the past year, we thank you for your goodness to us, far beyond what we have deserved. May we never presume on your past goodness or forget all your mercies to us, but may they instead lead us to repentance and to a new commitment to make your foundation and, uh, and center our lives for this year. And so, our Father, we thank you for the promise and hope of this new year. We look forward to it with expectancy and faith. This I ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, who by his death and resurrection has given us hope, both for this world and the world to come. Amen. Andy, thank you. Well, I hope you had a fantastic Christmas Day. We had an amazing Christmas Eve here. It was uh, on December 24th, by the way. And... Uh, what a great event, uh, and, and Drake Oswald uh, created a, a three venues. We, you know, we had the normal sanctuary venue, uh, and we wanted to do one service uh, because everybody likes being together, so we did it with three venues if you weren't here. So we had an outside venue that was fantastic, and another venue uh, in the welcome room. It was just, it was such a delight having like a giant family together. Uh, and you know how it is if you have your family together, it's never easy. The house is never big enough no matter how big your house is. It's a mess no matter what you do, but it's a blessed mess. That's how it was on, on Christmas Eve, just all these people uh, coming together to, to worship God. It was, it was fantastic. So here we are, uh, the last Sunday in Advent, and though <clears throat> the Christmas season isn't over because uh, we are now in the 12 days of Christmas. Christmas starts with Christmas Day, and it goes through the 12th night. <clears throat> if you've heard the phrase 12th night, the play by Shakespeare, um, and, and on that 12th night, they, it's the commemoration of the wise men showing up. So here we are, though, at the end of, of Advent proper, uh, these, these four Sundays uh, around uh, Christmas. So we've talked about uh, Abraham, we've talked about uh, Joseph, we've talked about Moses, last week Dave talked about David, and today, finally, we're talking about uh, Mary and Joseph. And we, we've been ask, asking and answering the question, why Advent? Why do we continue to celebrate something that happened so long ago? What is the continuing immediate relevance of this to us? And so that's what we've been exploring. And so I want to talk about uh, Mary and Joseph today. And, and in our culture, uh, perhaps in your mind, uh, and if not, but, but, but certainly in our culture, uh, this story has sort of become flat. Uh, it's flat in the sense that, oh, yeah, well, these two people got engaged and betrothed, and they had this baby, and then they went to register, and all this stuff, and you think, okay, interesting story. But when I, I, I'm hoping to draw you into the story in a way that would immerse you in the, 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 the deep, the, the deep uh, drama that this represents, not just for these, these young people, uh, but for, for the whole world at that time. So here we go, and I'm going to look at it from Mary, and then Joseph, and then Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. So we're going to dive in, not looking at all the passages that relate to the birth narrative in Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, but just three of them. 
and I'll try to fill in some details for you. My hope is that you'd walk out of here today saying, what I already knew, I know better, and what I didn't know uh, is blowing my mind in terms of what God did uh, in Mary and Joseph to bring uh, Jesus into the world. So here we are in uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 28 to 38. <coughs> it says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Elizabeth is Mary's cousin, who's married to Zechariah, who is a priest. So they live up uh, near Jerusalem. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, uh, uh, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Uh, if you grew up in a Catholic background, you're familiar with the prayer, Hail Mary. Uh, this is not a, a, a football strategy. Um, this is actually uh, the literal words that the angel said to Mary. Uh, our version of Hail Mary, I think, was created by Roger Sabach of the, page of the uh, Cowboys, having beaten the Giants in some epic game where they said, how did that work? And he, and, 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 and he said, it was something like a Hail Mary, I guess. You know, and the sportscaster he's talking to loved it and picked it up. And so Hail Mary is now part of our vernacular. It means when there's nothing else to do, just throw the ball as far as you can into a crowd of big dudes and hope that there's either a, a foul, you know, um, that they would allow uh, this team to get the ball on, you know, closer to the goal line and it's a first down. Or they, somebody miraculously catches it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's definitely a diminishment of Hail Mary. Because this version of Hail Mary is the real deal. We're an angel, uh, not just uh, the Italian version of an angel. You know, the little putti, the little cute look like marshmallows with wings. You know, those would not scare you. Uh, if, if an Italian angel appeared to you, you would be giggling and you'd be, you'd be apologizing. I'm so sorry, I don't mean to be offending you, but you're just so cute. Is it okay if I hug you and poke you and squeeze you? And, and these angels were not that kind of being. Uh, everywhere that the Bible mentions an angel appearing to anybody, uh, people are unraveled. They're undone. Often they fall on their face. Uh, Go away from me. I can't take this. I'm scared out of my wits. You know, you know that an angel is a formidable being because every time they appear, they have to say, uh, please don't be afraid. Anytime somebody says to you, don't be afraid, you have a real reason to fear. Uh, you know how that works. And in fact, if anybody comes up to you and says, don't be afraid, you go, oh my gosh, that's my cue to start backing up and saying, why should I be afraid? I wasn't until you came up. Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Let that sink in for a moment. Do you feel that way about your relationship with God? I'm getting very personal here because you might be an ardent, committed follower of Jesus. You might believe in Jesus. But really in your heart of hearts, would you expect a representative of the Lord to say, you are highly favored. The Lord is with you. You are highly favored. You are so special to God. I just had to come on his behalf to tell you that. You, you probably believe it in your head. Now I know God loves me. God loves everybody. But in your heart of hearts, I hope that, that in your relationship with God, you would be open to this very real and, and intimate, scary, close reality that you are highly favored by God. That's why we celebrate Advent, if no other reason. It reminds us that we are highly favored by God and that He is with us. So now, having said this to Mary, uh, what's going on in her head? Mary is probably 16 years old. Uh, a woman could be betrothed uh, sometime after turning 12. 
That might be shocking to you. You might think, well, what a backwards culture. Mm, I don't know. I think it sounds pretty advanced to me. You know, if you have a culture that people raised in community, raised in extended families, uh, they're, per- they're just immersed in the Word of God. Uh, they're mature. They're wise. Uh, they've, they've ingested the Word. They've eaten, like Jeremiah says, go ahead and eat it. Eat the Word. They've, they've internalized so much of God's Word through memorization that, that they have a deep, a deep sense of the presence of God. And so the families are, are helping them to launch and a good launch was becoming betrothed. And then there was a betrothal period. So we, we, we would have an engagement, and then we'd, 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 we'd culminate that with a marriage. Well, it's the same idea. They're betrothed, so really they're spoken for. Now they're pledged to each other. They're, they're technically husband and wife, but they haven't consummated their relationship, and they haven't formalized it in a wedding ceremony. And so probably if Mary uh, was uh, you know, 13 or 14 and she becomes betrothed, now at, at, at uh, 16... Uh, or thereabouts, she's, she's anticipating the, the formalization of that in a, in a marriage ceremony. Think, let that sink in. What kind of culture would produce somebody who is that present in their own life such that they could be present to God? We have a very sophisticated culture. Some people would say our culture, and, and, and that is collectively Western culture, is, is the apex of human civilization. And if that's true, God help us. Because we are so smart, but are, are in a sense that we're so highly educated, but, but our education has run faster than our intelligence and wisdom can keep up. We don't have a lot of wise people, necessarily. Now, that might sound judgmental. I'm just making the observation. Only because as a pastor, I see people constantly, individually and, and, and personally, but I see people through people. And I would say that we don't have a particularly wise civilization. We have a highly educated, highly connected, uh, highly articulate. Here's what I want. Here's what I deserve. Uh, we have a highly technological. We have a highly materialistic. We have a highly traveled. You, you get the idea. It, it is quite amazing to look around the world. Uh, but would you say that we have an overabundance of wise people? Would you say, look, it's just annoying. Everybody I turn to is so wise. I'm getting tired of it. If you had to say, pick, pick a, a super wise uh, 15-year-old. Would you start, first of all, in your own home? Maybe you would, but you'd say, well, it depends. Of course, she's, for 15, she's very wise. Compared to all of her friends, she's way, way wise. But, but seriously, would you say, uh, I can pick somebody in every decade of people I know, and say they are the embodiment of wisdom. You'd be hard-pressed to do this. You'd say, well, no, they're really smart, but I, I, no, I wouldn't call them wise. And when I say wise, I mean biblically literate and theologically savvy. They could have a conversation with a representative of God himself. And just enter into that like, it's sure, let's talk. Because here the angel is a, has approached Mary, and it says she was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be, as in, you know, don't be afraid, right? So the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Again, it, it, do you believe that in your heart of hearts? That, you know, you've found favor with God. You have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. I mean, if, if literally, I, mean, I hate to say it, it's kind of embarrassing at this age and stage of my life to say, if, if the angel had appeared to me and said, I'm here to talk to you, 
I'd be saying, I can explain everything. Uh, I can, I, you know, I would, I would almost be dissembling saying, well, I, look, let me give you my side of the story. And I, I know it doesn't look that great, but I really have good intentions. I wouldn't be thinking they're here because I have such great favor with God. I know God loves me and accepts me, but I would probably approach it from that perspective, as would you. Well, isn't it great that God, by his grace, accepts me? But the idea that God is not just likes us and loves us, but really wants to be with us and holds us in high regard is sort of a, a unique thought if we're honest about it. If you don't really believe me, just try this out on family and friends. Call up one of your friends today and say, I just want to let you know I've found favor with God. And see what their response would be, like your response right now. There'd be a, s- a small you know, chuckle, like, oh, that's clever. Anyway, why did you call? Well, to tell you I found favor with God. How, how about you? And now you're starting to make them angry. What do you mean, putting me on the spot like that? Well, I don't know. Is this some kind of a judgment thing? Is this a crank call? Are you pranking me? But here's the angel. You have found favor with God. Isn't that hard to live? I'm, I'm a teenager. Right. But the way you've lived and the way you know God puts you in great favor with him. Now, I bet Mary would say, well, I'm not perfect. My mom has to you know, correct me, and my dad gives me those looks, and I'm not sure if I'm really ready for marriage. You know, again, there'd, be all, there'd be all those kinds of observations of her, of her own being, her own person. But the power of this passage is that it tells us that there's some deep thing going on. It's been going on among people, and now it's culminating. They're ready to take this next step in the journey with God. He's been preparing them. Do you know that God is preparing you? If you have a relationship with God, if you've received Christ as your Lord and Savior, if, you've, if you have put your trust in Him, He is preparing you. You can't adequately plan for everything that might uh, come your way in life. But you can be prepared. How? By knowing the Word of God and being immersed in it and becoming wise in your observation of life through your knowledge of the Word of God. This is the most neglected part of our development. We want our kids to do well in the SAT. We want them to get good grades. We want them to get through AP classes. We want them to get into a good university. We want them to do well. All good stuff. Uh, We have a preschool of 120 kids, and, and those parents are awesome and wonderful, and loving, and driven. Uh, we have chain-smoking preschoolers here. No, we don't have chain-smoking preschoolers. <coughs> but, but there's this expectation that just like Daddy has a Ph.D. and Mommy has a Ph.D., we hope that when you finish preschool here, you'll be ready to pursue a Ph.D. That's sort of the, sort of the vibe, right? All about love. But we're talking about being developed such that, this is how we look at our preschool, for example, we want our, our preschool kids to have the highest aspirations for the best education possible so that when they're running some massive part of the world someday, they would be people who think God's thoughts after him. And everything that they know and everything that they do is integrated around their deep relationship with the living God and a, and a deep understanding of his word that they can articulate in ways that people would be attracted to, not put off by. Do you think that's a high standard for preschoolers? I would say it's normative according to this text. You're seeing a 15, 16-year-old version of a person who's been so shaped by their interactions with their mom and their dad, just being a normal kid in a normal family, not some factory of faith, but just the daily interactions. How do I know this? Because I know Deuteronomy chapter 6, the great Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Think of these things. Talk of these things. Discuss these things when you rise up, when you go through the day, when you're eating, when you're spending time together, until you go to sleep at night. Reflect on these. Now, if a child goes up in that environment, 
and has conversations. Uh, not just these, you know, punishing conversations. Do you believe enough? Do you know enough? But hey, what do you think about that? Also, that child, their imagination is captured by the fact that there's a God who loves me and has a plan for me. He's preparing me. Therefore, when you say to that young person, okay, uh, here's what we need you to do. They're ready. They're a 13-year-old ready. They're a 14-year-old ready. They're a 16-year-old. Whatever agent stays there, they're ready as ready as they can be. You're not just starting at that moment to say, hey, I got to tell you some things you're going to need to know right now. I'm laboring this because this is not the version of Mary and Joseph that anybody in our culture would have. These would be really well-intended, naive, possibly illiterate peasant people who didn't know up from down and were gullible and superstitious and were carried away by events that obviously don't really add up. Because he says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. This is so far-fetched and fanciful in the context. Why? There was one king in Israel, it was Herod, and he was a corrupt, crazy king. He was half Jewish, he was all corrupt. He was upon a minion of Rome, but he saw himself as a major player in Palestine, because he was. He was smart, he was brave, he was an incredible military person. He was an incredible leader. Uh, he was a builder. The guy was a genius. He was a Renaissance man before they invented the Renaissance. But he was a walking, talking disaster. And he created an oppressive climate. And to suggest that there's another kingdom that's going to overcome this kingdom is fanciful crazy talk. It's wishful thinking. And so people say, this is a naive expression, an aspiration to people who are so long oppressed they don't know what they don't know. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, uh, uh, asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. I'm not just a young woman. Virgin can certainly mean young woman, but it specifically means a young woman who is, who is not lain with a man, who's not become sexually active with a man. And this is not because uh, people have a phobia of, of sex in the Bible. It's because God created sex as a gift. God created us as sexual beings before the fall of humankind. So the idea is not to be afraid of sex. It's to hold it in the highest regard because it, 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 it represents a, a depth of intimacy that even the Bible talks about the, the relationship between a man and a woman is like the relationship between Christ and the church. It's not to spiritualize it, make it a religious thing that is out of touch with touch. It's to say it's so passionate and so deep that we hold it in the highest regard. We don't sully it by compromising it. In our culture, it's sort of a rite of passage for people to become sexually active without the, the, the foundation and the integrity of holy matrimony, as if that's a sophisticated thing to do. It's not a sophisticated thing to do. From a biblical perspective, it's a heartbreaking and foolish thing to do. It's like building a, a treehouse in a little sapling. It just crushes a small tree. It's like asking a small child to do something that's so far beyond their comprehension to understand or their ability to even do that it wounds them and possibly injures them and possibly destroys them. And so he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. This is a massive assignment. How could you possibly tell your mother this and have it make sense? That's why in our culture we go, yeah, right, we snicker internally. Oh, yeah, okay. Whatever. Because I believe in God and I believe in this concept of a loving God, I'll go with this story, but I, it's nothing but fable and myth. 
And we miss the whole point that this is how God comes up scary close to us. He enters into our world. There's no excuse anymore to say, God, you really don't understand what it means to be a human being, to live under the, the heel and the thumb and the oppressive rule of Herod, to be harassed every single day by Roman soldiers. We don't know if they will rape our daughters or oppress our boys, send them to the galleys where they'll row in a boat till they die someday. This is not crew where you row for fun and glory. This is the galley where you're, you row until you lean over dead and they push you out of the boat and put it on another slave. This is a world so oppressive that you're afraid to leave your house or your family for fear of being caught out uh, vulnerable uh, with all the Romans who are, are coming through your country. And these aren't people who care about your culture or your people. They've been oppressed soldiers from other, other, regi other regimes where Rome has conquered them in France or Greece or Germany or Great Britain and pressed them into service. They said, okay, we're sending you to Israel, to Palestine. And they go, oh, we don't want to be there. And so they come angry and now they're bored. And what do they have to do all day but to harass one another and to harass the people? And the people are being taxed higher than 50%. It's a starting point. They pay at least 50% of their small income immediately to taxes. And then they're shaken down every time they go out somewhere. This is the world we're talking about. And the angel says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. And then the angel says, for no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Now, if you don't have a biblical knowledge and a, and a theological context, you think, well, I don't, that just sounds like an empty boast. What the angel is saying is, Mary, you know that God has promised to bless all nations through Abraham. He's continued that promise to Isaac and Jacob, to Jacob's sons, through Moses, through King David. You know he's going to fulfill his promises. And guess what? Today is that day. This is an outrageous turn of events. Not only how, how will I explain it to my mom and to my dad and to the village, they'll either laugh at me or ostracize me or maybe stone me to death. How do I explain it to the Roman authorities who are so paranoid that even if this is a fanciful, crazy imagination of a 15-year-old, they will take it so seriously that they'll destroy me and the baby. I will be living in fear of my life from this moment on. If anybody finds this out and if the rumors circulate, It'll be a disaster. You follow me so far? This is, I hope this feels very heavy, like you're having a hard time breathing, because this is so overwhelming and suffocating. I don't know if you've ever been to a really scary place. If you've ever been traveled in the world where all of a sudden you're in a very scary situation and realize, these people don't care if they kill me. These people don't care if I never see my family again. These people don't care if to get what I have and what they want, they have to, they have to wound me or destroy me. Maybe you've been in those situations. I've been in some of those situations but I haven't had to live in them. I've had passing experiences of, oh my gosh, this could go very, very bad very quickly. But to live in that day in and day out, to worry every time your kid is out of your sight, oh no, oh my gosh, this is the world that they're describing. And so what does Mary say? I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. I hope this is your confession of faith. Maybe you're saying, well, I'm not really that savvy yet about Jesus. I'm sort of exploring it. I'm, I'm open to it. I'm not sure about that. Or if you're a brand new follower of Jesus, you're thinking, wow, do I have the right to say that? Isn't that a bit pretentious or presumptuous? No. 
This is simply a confession of faith. This is you saying, I am open to God's purposes in my life. So I am the Lord's servant is not a boast. May your word to me be fulfilled is not a, a, a boastful comment. It's not an arrogant expression of I'm so awesome. It's a recognition that he is so awesome. That you're willing to say, okay, I'll defer to you. All right, I'll trust you. All right, I'll yield myself to your purposes for me. That doesn't mean I stop thinking and functioning and making decisions every day. That I fulfill my commitments, that I take on responsibilities, that I overcome my natural passivity to take risk. It just simply means that I believe that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do. Therefore, I am the Lord's servant. This makes no sense to me from a human perspective, but I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I'll worry about how to tell my mom and dad later. I'm not looking forward to the conversation with Joseph. I'm not sure how we're going to protect this baby from the forces of evil that would love to destroy any threat to their sense of, of domination and, and supremacy. <clears throat> so that's Mary. I'm tired, aren't you? Wow. This Poor woman. I mean, th this is somebody who should be thinking about her upcoming wedding. Instead, she's now thinking about her own survival, the survival of this baby. What about Joseph? Joseph <coughs> is, is the... Um, is, is the big question mark for most people. Well, you know, so little written about Joseph, we think, well, Joseph, he's sort of, what is, I don't get it, how he fits. He's Mr. Irrelevant, you know? Uh, every, every year at the end of the NFL draft, um, the final player drafted by the NFL is hosted at a massive event, a huge uh, party uh, in Newport Beach at the Balboa Bay Club. And his title, he's, he's honored to be called Mr. Irrelevant. And he doesn't mind it because he's getting a massive amount of attention, uh, accolades. He's meeting all these famous people in the world of sports and, and business and, and all these other, you know, connections. So it's a massive ego trip and, and, and honor for these guys. But it's a big, massively funny event, too, Mr. Irrelevant. And he gets all this bling, and he probably drives away with his, the gift they give him. But it's a huge, huge celebration. Uh, Mr. Irrelevant, nobody knows who. I, I, I know nobody in this room knows who the last guy was uh, drafted uh, into the NFL last year or the year before. But, but those guys know who they were because they had a big party in their honor at the Balboa Bay Club. Mr. Irrelevant could be Joseph's name. Why? Because we don't know much about him. And yet, he, like Mary, he, like Mary, uh, is an epic, epic example to us about faith in, in the Lord. Here's why. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together... She was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Now, Joseph is probably 19, 18, 19. She's maybe 16, 15, 16. The young man, he's, he's gotten up the, the courage to go to her father and say, I would like to be betrothed to Mary. And he's, he doesn't know if the father will say, yeah, I bet you would. So that every other young guy in this village, get over yourself, get the back of the line. Or would he be welcome? And the father would say, we'll take that under serious consideration. I think Mary would be very pleased to hear that. But now having been accepted into this relationship, he is going uh, full speed trying to figure out how do I prepare a home for my bride? How do I come up with the money uh, to provide for her? 
Uh, in fact, the family, uh, the, the groom's family, has to come up with a bride price to, to replace the economic loss to losing this daughter who'd be contributing to the family's well-being. And that was very, very expensive. Why? Because how can, I, how can I say it's expensive? Because Mary was such an incredible woman. You can just see who she was. That, oh my gosh, who wouldn't want that to be their daughter-in-law, their wife, the mother of their children? And so this young guy is going to have to deal with the most overwhelming, heartbreaking, shocking, and confusing news he's ever received as a young person. Because she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, it says he's an 18, 19-year-old person immersed in the Word of God, articulate about the theology of what it all means. That God is his highest priority. That's his primary identity. He is a true son of Abraham, a descendant of David, through whom God will fulfill his promises to redeem Israel by sending the Messiah. And yet, and yet, he has a deep, you can hear in between this, the lines here, he has a deep, deep love for this young woman. Why? And yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. This is one of those tests in life. Is your highest allegiance to the Lord? Or will you compromise that immediately if it frustrates any of the other horizontal relationships in your world? And this is not a hard-hearted question some esoteric, abstract thing. Oh, you don't care about people, you care about some God far away. No. God was so real to this young man. He said, Lord, I cannot defile you or defy you. I cannot disobey you. I've got to honor and glorify you. And in this situation, I don't know what to do because I love you and I love this young woman. But because I'm a, 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 I'm a, a bar mitzvah, a son of the commandment, I don't want to uh, compromise you, but I don't want to expose her to public disgrace, which means more than just she'll be embarrassed, it might, might mean she will be ashamed. So he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But even that is a tough one because you have to tell somebody. You have to tell the rabbi, uh, by the way, here's what I'm doing. Well, why? You have to tell your parents, her parents. Everybody finds out. This is a very awkward social situation. But more than just awkward, this is a complete and total disruption of life. It's like a stab to your heart. But after he had considered this, as he's working it through, and by the way, if you are a person immersed in the Word of God and, and learning to articulate it and process your life through your understanding of His Word, nothing is going to come easy. Because no big decisions are easy ever. But God will be with you as you process and make those decisions. So here the young man is processing it, and God resolves it for him in a, in a beautiful way. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David. You're not just Joseph doing his own thing. What's good for Joseph? Joseph, son of David. Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Now, David lived a thousand years before Joseph did, but he's a son of David. And so what would a son of David do? Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And there's two, historically, there's two ways of, of, of looking at, at, at Joseph. One is a suspicious perspective. He said, oh my gosh, obviously you've, you, you've, you've had sex with somebody else. Or, or maybe you've, you've been raped by a Roman soldier. Uh, in any way, in any case, you have been defiled. 
And so I'll, I'll, I'll treat you respectfully because I love you, but I'm heartbroken, and I'm, I'm just gonna, we're going to move on. The other perspective, uh, historically, uh, seen by as seen by theologians, uh, is that he was so humbled by I don't deserve to be the husband to this kind of woman, a woman who in the Greek phrase is Theotokos, mother of God. We would say the mother of Jesus, but when you say in the Greek mother of God, Theotokos, you elevate Mary to something that is just otherworldly, right? This is the problem that Protestants have with Catholics and how they look, not all Catholics, but how some Catholic theology looks at Mary, is that, that we, Protestants are so afraid of looking like they're worshiping Mary that they, they make the great major, bigger error of pulling back from even appreciating the amazing woman she is. But the early church would call her Theotokos, and so if you call her Theotokos, how do you honor God, God's mom? And so this is all part of the theory that, well, he was so humble that he just wasn't worthy of being married to her. I think both sort of miss the point. I think because he's an 18, 19-year-old young man and he only knows the law and what normal people do who have integrity and live with honor, he can only make one conclusion, that is something horrible has happened. Therefore, I can't move ahead. But, but what I will do is my best to make it as good as it can be. Rather, though, as he's processing this, he comes to understand that I am humbled to be married to this woman, and the, and the angel has just confirmed that this is right and good. But out of his humility, out of his compassion, but out of his courage, he says, okay, powerful. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is also interesting, because neither of them have Jesus as a name in their family. And typically what you do is name the, the child after the father or the grandfather as a boy. But he's to be called Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. And so Jesus is one who saves. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Uh, this sounds almost like a joke. You should call him Emmanuel, therefore name him Jesus. Well, wh which one is it? Is it Emmanuel or is it Jesus? Well, Emmanuel is the title. God with us. The name is Jesus, the God who saves. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. The angel's message in the dream did not resolve his problems. It exacerbated his problems. Because now he was standing with Mary saying, we are called by God together. And, and now we together are going to have to figure out how to protect this child from everybody who would want to destroy him. They're 16 and 19. Very, very young. They're a major burden. But it's because the, the Lord is so powerful in them and through them that they're willing and able to take this on. There are things in our culture, in our world, uh, not to be paranoid about where our world is going, but our world is not getting better. And it's, it's going to be a high call on those who follow Jesus to say, am I willing to step up and step out in faith no matter what the consequences might be for me? Not because I have some martyrdom complex or because I, I, I want to I go out in a flame of glory, but rather because I'm, I'm so convinced of who he is, I couldn't do otherwise. How could I deny what I know in my heart of hearts? 
This is, this is not just a beautiful picture of, of what a young couple went through and actually did. It's a, it's, a, it's, it's a model for us. What will we do? Will we rise to that standard of integrity and conviction to say, sure, I'm in. I'll do what you've commanded me to do. And so he, uh, he took Mary home as his wife, but did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. They had subsequent children. And he gave him the name Jesus. So that's Joseph, and that's Mary. What about Mary, Joseph, and Jesus? Now, you have this young couple who have been so infused with the Word of God. They're responsible for now uh, parenting uh, the one who will be the Messiah, a normal kid who bleeds and who bruises, who climbs up on things and causes mom and dad running around going, no, no, don't jump, no, no, come back down. You know, a normal boy. What's in it for them? Well, immediately after this, as you know, there's a census called because the, the, the Herod wants to shake out as much money from the people as possible. And Rome wants to get squeeze every bit of, of wealth uh, out of Israel to, to fund their lavish lifestyle and their excessive wars. And so everybody's required to leave their, their home, wherever they live, and go to wherever their family claims to be their village of origin. Uh, if, you were, if, I, if I had to go back uh, to where my father came from, uh, a little village called Kalimer, in Ireland. Uh, it's a typical Irish village. It's got one street, one church, and two pubs. And a cemetery. Maybe there's three pubs. I don't know. I mean, it's a dinky town. Charming, beautiful, green, uh, but you wouldn't want to live there for more than five minutes. You'd be bored out of your gourd. It's a beautiful place to visit while you're driving through it on your way to something more fun like Dublin or wherever. And if, if all the people who've ever had anything to do with climber showed up, there's no room at climber for them all. And so this is what was imposed on Mary and Joseph. You've got to go to Bethlehem from Nazareth. And you've got to register in the census so we know who you are. So while they're there, uh, the baby is born, obviously in Bethlehem, fulfilling a prophecy in the house of David. And they settle in. But within that period between his birth and, say, two years out, an amazing event happens. Uh, some men come from the east, uh, and they look like kings. Uh, they have the full regalia. They probably have massive amounts of servants and an armed contingent of people with them. And for them to come into Jerusalem and say, we're here to see the king of the Jews, the new king of the Jews, it would be quite uh, the controversy because Herod would say, there is one king of the Jews. It would be me. Who are you referring to? Well, don't you know? We've been following the star. And now these are probably Parthians. Uh, these are fierce, a fierce warrior nation who have subjugated Israel in the past and will subjugate them in the, f in the future. And so are you a peace party or a war party? And when they bring this news that we're here to worship the new king, it's controversial. And of course, you know the story. It's a reign of terror. It's a bloodbath. The, the, the slaughter of the innocents takes place. But meanwhile, Joseph and Mary are warned by an angel, you need to leave and go to Egypt. So somewhere in that two-year period, because it, the language goes from Jesus being referred to as literally an infant, a newborn, uh, Jesus being referred to as in the womb, and then as a newborn, and then now as a, a small child, a paideon. And so the family flees to Egypt. Probably they go to Egypt um, and land in Alexandria on the coast. It was, it was an epic center of Jewish culture. It's where the highest uh, amount of scholarship was, was concentrated in the Jewish world. The highest religious center was Jerusalem, but the highest 
uh, you know, informed theological center uh, was Alexandria. That's where they were using a, a Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible as well as the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and so they, they went to, probably went to Alexandria. Uh, and meanwhile, though, um, this horrible carnage happens behind them. An angel says, it, it's, you can go back now. But they're warned, don't go to Bethlehem because Herod has died. And now because he's died, it's unstable and people are being killed everywhere and fights are breaking out everywhere. So they go back to Nazareth. And so every year it says, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. It shows you that they were so committed to this, uh, that this wasn't just, you know, a Christmas and Easter deal for them. This was their lifestyle. <clears throat> and when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Now, Mary and Joseph are still, uh, uh, Joseph is still alive at this point. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, and then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him, and they were interviewed by child protective services. Uh, no, but that's what would happen in our culture. You know, it's like, what were you thinking <laughs> to leave him? Well, he's 12, and we, we travel in a big community, and for safety purposes, you know, um, the, the economy is so bad, there's all these brigands, all these gangs trying to make money shaking people down, so we always travel as a big group. And we're an extended family, and he's an amazing kid, uh, and we just missed him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And can you imagine the flashback for Joseph and Mary? Oh my gosh, remember? Eight days into his birth, we had him circumcised in, in the synagogue in Bethlehem. But 40 days after his birth, we went to the temple itself. We brought Jesus. We purchased two doves. We made a sacrifice. And while we were walking through the temple complex, an old man named Simeon stopped us. Do you remember that? And he made this incredible prophetic statement about who Jesus would be. In fact, this is one of the first four songs we have uh, in the New Testament. The first is Mary's song, the Magnificat. The second is Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband. He was a priest. His song of praise to God. Then we have the angels, glory to God in the highest. And now we have Simeon. We call that in Latin, it's called Latin, the nunc dimittis, now I can go, now I can die. Yeah, yeah. And he said that a soul would pierce your heart too, Mary. And then that lady Anna, who worshipped in the temple for 80 years, made some prophetic statements about Jesus. But when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And he says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them. Down, it's, it's up in terms of, we think of anything north is up. Nazareth is north of Jerusalem, but everything from Jerusalem is down, because Jerusalem is high up. So they go down, but north, to Nazareth, and he was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, how do we know that his mother treasured all these things in her heart? Probably because Luke asked her. 
Some, or she had told somebody, this is what happened. Joseph died, and I just kept treasuring all these things in my heart. And all those things that had been prophesied about him were coming clear to him, her, and to him. And can you imagine his parents are saying, oh my gosh, this is that point we didn't think we'd get to so quickly. He's, on, he's gone from being our cherished little boy to this young man on his way to becoming the Messiah. You know how that is as a parent. When you see your child has turned that corner from just being your adorable kid, one blink, and then a blink later, they got a, they got a crush on somebody. Or they, somebody has a crush on them, or they're all excited to get a driver's license. Or they, they abandon you and go to college. They launch, they get married, they have kids of their own. You think, what, how did that happen so fast? Well, so let me leave you with this. This couple, chosen by God because he'd been preparing them over a lifetime, invest themselves in, in this child and launch him into his mission, his ministry. And every time they went to Jerusalem over all those years, all those continuous trips, as you approach Jerusalem with a group of people for Passover, what happens? They start singing the same songs every year. Fifteen Psalms of Ascent. I think it's like Psalm 120 to 134. And at certain points, they would sing another psalm of ascent. Now, Joseph is a builder. He's not just a carpenter. He's a, he's a master builder. And so it says here in Psalm 127, one of the psalms of ascent that they, along with everybody else, would be singing as they walked up to Jerusalem, unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord builds a house. Those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So Joseph is a builder. Jesus is a young man working with his father to become a builder. Singing in his song. Yeah, that's right. It's the Lord who's building this. The Lord is building you. Are you paying attention to him? You cannot build your house but for him. You cannot help your children build their house but for him. You cannot help your grandchildren build their house. You can't be... You can't be available to your friends and neighbors who are wrestling with spiritual issues. If they finally get to the point of either desperation or trust in you and they say, hey, you're one of the most spiritually alive people I know. Could you talk to me? You're awesome. I want to be like you, maybe. I want to be just like you. I want to do what you've done. You'd say, no, no, no. I know it looks like I built this. I didn't. I've been paying attention to God who showed me how to do this. He's the one building my house. I just pay attention to his lead. Jesus, in his day, said, if you people were watching, you'd see what's coming. Not a stone will be left in this place because you're no longer watching the Lord. And so you're watching. You're watching yourselves in a mirror. You're watching your culture in your own image. You're watching the people you perceive as your enemies and missing the real enemy. It's that your hearts are far from God. Here's the result of that. The writer says this, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. You get up early and you stay up late. But for what purpose? Eating the bread of anxious toil. Your heart is restless. You have fear upon fear, keeping you up at night. Because the Lord gives to His beloved sleep. It's not to say that we don't have anxieties. Can you imagine the intense anxieties Mary and Joseph and their families had? But they had something even more. The abiding presence of the living God. Saying, yes, I will meet you every day at your point of fear. Lean into me with your fear and anxiety. Lean into me with your doubt, your lack of understanding. I hold you in great favor. I am present with you. This is his, premise, his promise to them. It's his promise to you. 
It's his promise to you. The Lord Jesus, having made this promise to us, may we embrace it by faith in you, learning to live in your love and walk in your grace both now and forever. We pray this in Jesus' name. Right now, we're going to have the opportunity to continue on in our time of worship through our offering and our giving into the Lord. And it really is just a continuation of the worship and the joy uh, that we have through Christ. And as before we continue on in the time of worship, I'm just going to ask that you bow your heads as we just come before the Lord in this act of worship and just give him the honor, glory, and praise due his name. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come in the spirit of joy in anticipation in giving, offering not only our act of worship through singing and the study of the scripture, but also through our giving, through our finances. Father, we know that everything we have comes from you, and so we give back uh, to you, Father, knowing that what you can take from our gifts, uh, you can do greater things than we could ever think, ask, or imagine, God, and we ask that. As we continue on in this time of worship, would you speak to us, meet us? We thank you for the study of the scripture, for the message and the word that has been proclaimed today. We give this in Jesus' name. Amen.
because he was born, because he lived, and because he died for the sins uh, of all, because he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven, and because he will return in glory, we can live now and forever. He is our hope, and nothing and no one can separate us from him. So receive him by faith. If you haven't done that before, do it today. If you haven't done that and you feel uh, like you're distracted, just refocus around him. If you're walking strong with him, keep your eyes on him. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a wonderful and blessed uh, New Year's, and if we can pray for you before you leave, go right out around the corner to the prayer garden, and we'll have a prayer with you.